Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Buenos días, buenas tardes, buenas noches. Bonjour, bonsoir, buongiorno, buon pomeriggio e buonasera to all our listeners around the wide world. Today we're going to do our second podcasting and I hope you're bear with me because it takes some time to get used to listen to your own voice and do the recording blah 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 and not use cliches or common words like i did in the first time the first one like as a matter of fact so please bear with me slowly we're going to learn how to handle this new tool that we're using to communicate with uh, you guys and girls we're talking to the listeners male, female, and other genders that are listening to us thanks to the publicity that our website, drmolaplume.com, Dr. Mario Laplume has provided us. We also remind you that our new book, Emotional Frustration, The Hush Plague, is now available in many, many platforms, including, of course, the Amazon platform, the iPad Apple platform and many select libraries like Barnes & Noble, Barkus in Sweden, uh, there are many more that I cannot really remember. So I urge you to buy it. You can also have it in digital form in the Kindle store. And as I, as I said, in the iPad form, and I feel you're going to like it. Of course, if you have any comments, please send them to, send them to us either on the platform page or email us at email at drmolaplume.com. We promise that we're going to personally review each and every email and uh, respond to you in a reasonable amount of time. Of course, we protect ourselves from spam and obnoxious, nasty comments. So don't even bother to send them because they're going to be erased. Thank you all or the protective firewalls that we have set up in our web page. Today, we wanted to talk about uncertainty. Uncertainty in our life. <clears throat> I'm sorry. As it was a case in 1348 when the Black Plague uh, attacked Europe and many people had to hide in caves, in far, uh, distant farms, you know, in villas like the character from Boccaccio's The Cameron. We are emerging from our caves, from our villas, from our farm, from our basement, from wherever that we've been hiding for months <clears throat> with a lot of uncertainty. Uncertainty about many things. Did the pandemic stop already? Do we need a third booster shot of the Pfizer Moderna vaccine? What will become of us? Will we keep our work, our studies, our relationship? How are we going to relate to each other in the new social setting. So that's something that we have to consider very carefully because these are weird aftermath. It's a weird new world and many of the parameters of your have imploded, not exploded, imploded. So we're going to get to get used to have a new, special, I hope better relationship with each other and take care of our planet because this little ball of water in the middle of so much mineral darkness is pre uh, precious and we have to take care of it all of us 
Now, uh, a few days ago in September 9, 11, I'm sorry, September 11, 2021, there was a very nice article in the New York Times by Dan Burry titled, What Does It Mean to Never Forget? What Does It Mean to Never Forget? Dan Burry, Barry, B-A-R-R-Y, the New York Times, September 11, 2021. And in that article, The author said more or less that in the first days after the September 11 attacks, a team of scholars move around the country, he's talking about the United States, of course, to capture the moments, flash memories from different uh, people in the street, in many settings. And uh, he want, they wanted to record the uh, enduring mental snapshots that people were having after that historical event, which was the September 11 attacks on the Twin Towers in New York City that had marked us forever. Now, they met more than 3,000 people and asked a few questions, including, where were you when you heard about the, the Twin Towers attacks? Where were you when you heard about the Twin Towers attacks? So really recorded all these memories carefully And one year later, the same researchers went back to ask the same questions to the same people, and they found that 40% of them had changed the, the story. The, there was an alteration of memories. And it seemed that uh, these altered, recollect, altered chain recollection were consistent with similar studies done in other, in other historical settings. And that was studied by Dr. Elizabeth Phelps, P-H-E-L-P-S, a professor of neuroscience at Harvard University, who also studied this post-September September 11, 2001 attacks. What they distinguish the memories of September 11 attacks from other similar historic events, for example, the assassination of John F. Kennedy, uh, the American president, was that people have incorporated much more personal memorabilia into the story. I see they wanted to assert, to make sure that people understood that they were there. Somehow they were there, even in front of a TV set, and it changed your life. So people wanted to stay with the story, and they were sticking to their guns, okay? They were there either because they live in New York City, or they passed through by New York City, or they were watching it, in New Jersey, Connecticut, or just in a TV set down in Wyoming. They were there. It affected the life. I was about to talk with a matter of fact. No, I'm going to spare you that. My experience of September 11, 2001 couldn't be more dramatic, except for the 3,000 innocent U.S. citizens that perished that day due to the cowardly attack on the Twin Towers. At that time, I, uh, I was doing my doctoral thesis at Columbia University, and I had to shuttle between Miami, where I had my, my work, and Buenos Aires, where uh, I was doing some field work. And temporarily, my family had settled down in a nice uh, place to, you know, because I wanted to my children to learn Spanish, I wanted my children to learn the culture of their parents. Uh, you must remember that we were, I was born in Montevideo, 
and my wife at the time was born in Mar del Plata, Argentina. I wanted them to experience our culture, be close to our families, and learn Spanish well. Of course, they were attending a private British school where they learned English perfectly, as both of them are American citizens, and we couldn't, uh, we couldn't uh, afford the possibility that they would not learn English well. The, on September 10, 2001, I boarded a Lan Chile flight in Buenos Aires in order to come back to Miami. I boarded it in the afternoon and then it made a, a small two or three hour stop in Santiago de Chile. And from then it uh, left at 8, 9 p.m. No, no, it must have been later, 10 p.m. for an overnight flight to Miami, nonstop. I, I've done that flight many, many times because I was uh, commuting every month to and from uh, Miami. And, you know, it was a rather pleasant flight because it's a very good airline and it had many perks. And I remember that what really changed was that after they serve us breakfast around, it was, must have been around 7 a.m. Eastern time, the captain, uh, no, no, no. Uh, it was close to 9 a.m. Eastern time that they, we were finishing breakfast and suddenly the loudspeaker in the plane went on and the captain talked to us. He, he told us briefly that there was a problem in the Miami airport and we couldn't land. So they were going to turn around and make a circle uh, around the sea, around the Biscayne Bay, you know, the kind of circle that Evelyn do when they cannot, they have to wait until they have a landing strip ready for them. So that must have been a little bit um, after 9 a.m. when we maybe 10, 9, 10, 9, 15, 9, 20. So, you know, we decided to just enjoy uh, the movies, the music. I closed my eyes and I waited patiently. But somehow the minutes were passing and the plane was still making circles. And we were beginning to get concerned. And many people got up, not me, you know, rather patient. And we were speaking with uh, flight attendants, you know, in a rather forceful way, even excitedly, because they couldn't understand why the plane had been uh, roaming the sky for half an hour before landing. It was supposed to land uh, a little bit after 9 a.m. Finally, uh, since the tension was mounting in the cabin, the captain came back again and said, that there has been a terrorist attack in in New York, and the American skies have been closed for all flights. One of the first measures that the U.S. government did was to close the skies for any incoming flight. And our plane, the that Lanchile flight, got caught in the in that uh, impasse. So he he told us that they were pleading with the Miami Airport Authority to let us land because we're running out, we're running out of fuel running out of fuel. Imagine that you're in a plane up there and they tell you that it cannot land and it's running out of fuel. Uh, you know, imagine how nervous and how excited and how distressed we were. Uh, the captain then uh, went back to his business and 10, 15 minutes later, I believe, must have been 15 to 10, something like that. He came back through the loudspeaker and told us that finally 
the Miami Airport authorities had, gra had granted us the permission to land. Well, what a relief. Well, we landed and we, we really hadn't listened carefully to what he was saying. We knew there was an episode of terror in New York City, but there had been another one a few months earlier. So he thought it must have been something limited. When they opened the door, the main cabin door, and I was sitting right next to it because I was flying business and I was in one of the front seats. All of a sudden, something really strange weird happened. You know, a platoon of soldiers, soldiers, they could, they could have been guardsmen, came into the, into the cabin armed with, with guns and rifles. And they went, uh, you know, through, they deployed through both hallways and they went all the way down to the back of the plane, checking every a platoon of soldiers. I've never seen it in the United States, you know, and, and let alone in a plane, a commercial plane. Well, after reviewing the, after checking the plane, finally they left and they let us land. And slowly we have to go through a gamut, um, no, a gamut, no, two rows of soldiers, with even with dogs, with standing dogs. You know, one by one, in a single uh, line, we had to access the airport facility. We were very scared because we didn't really know what was going on. So finally, we went through immigration and we exited the airport. When I, when I, when I arrived, when I met my chauffeur, he immediately uh, told me that there had been a terrible terrorist attack that was still on the way and the two Twin Towers had been hit because this was after 10 a.m. Imagine how how scared we were. So our memory of September 11, 2001 is very vivid indeed. As a matter of fact, we can still remember every detail as the memory of the assassination of John F. Kennedy. John F. Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas, Texas. I believe it was November 21st. 1963. And that day is the birthday of my grandfather, Ricardo. I were meeting, we were having a family reunion in his apartment in the old section of town. And we remember the time that we were so enthralled, so taken by the horrible news that we were, were clustering, we were uh, leaning, all of us, around an old uh, radio. He had an old transistor radio and listening to the news from um, from Washington, D.C. And, you know, it's uh, such a weird memory. I remember I was sitting in an armchair next to it and trying to push the dial, to move the dial, because at the time, you know, the TV wasn't that, uh, wasn't that great, sophisticated, and the news by radio were faster many times. So, as you can see, the memories that are seared in, in our spirit, in our minds, so, well, what's going to happen to us after this pandemic is finally over? We know that we're going to remember when we were sometime in March 2020, when most governments decided to put a lockdown to cut the transmission of this terrible uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus. We remember where we were, and we're going to remember it until the day we die. And also, 
we have to consider that after that, those events that started in March 2020, many, many things, many situations occur, many things happen, and many certainties have are gone forever. We know that the the governments of the of the major of the major democracies of the planet have enacted very draconian measures in order to protect our safety, in order to screen uh, incoming passengers, in, in dangerous residents, and uh, protect us from the terrorist attack or, you know, the emergence of another flu or pandemic that may kill us. So we know that we're getting closer to a 1984-like situation where many of our moves are being screened by unknown agencies, unknown and unknown agencies, and we cannot uh, escape from the prying eye of Big Brother. I recommend that you read my, you read my blogs about 1984 and its author and also listen to the podcast because that's, that book is more relevant than ever. As a matter of fact, in that book, they, they gave us the, um, the early, I'm sorry, I'm turning a page. That's why you hear the shuffle. They gave us the, uh, the early hint of what was going to come many, many years later. Because in that society, people were getting the news through the TVs. And when the authorities, the fascist authority, wanted to change the script, you know what they did? Was they changed the role of the TV input. And so when people uh, listened and saw a different kind of news than the one that they previously watched, they went back to the previous day or the previous week's uh, information and it wasn't it was nowhere to be found so the fake news were instituted and started really with the book the great book of 1984. now we're going to touch the level of incertitude many times we're living in a uncertain world and incertitude is our co-pilot and sadly i have to tell you folks that until the day we die either in 10, 20 years, 30 years, we're going to be uh, living with different levels of incertitude. For example, is the pandemic over? No, it isn't. As a matter of fact, you know, we don't know the many pockets of the world that are not fully vaccinated. The only 20, 10, 20% vaccine, especially the countries in, some countries in Latin America, most of the African nation, and many countries in Asia too. We have to reach a higher level of immunization in order to get the herd immunity. So, do we have to keep our safety measures? The answer is yes and no. If uh, the pandemic is under control in your area of the world, perhaps you might, you might be able to take the mask uh, when you're outside, when you're in the park, when you're sitting in a, in a terrace, in a, in a nice cafe by the park. Then you can take your mask. As a matter of fact, after many, many months of not going almost, of going almost nowhere, except for workplace, uh, the supermarket, the barber, you know, some uh, limited social encounters. A few days ago, we accompanied our son, Gianluca Laplume, 
to his stand-up comedy act in the Elks Lodge of, of Kendall. As you know, you, you saw my son, I'm sure you saw my son Gianluca with his stand-up comedian, you know, uh, information. And he goes once per month by to the Elks Lodge in South Miami, invited by a promoter called Marty, who personally likes my my son and think he has a, a lot of talent and he's uh, promoting his career. So uh, we went to the Elks Lodge. My son gave, showed me, uh, you know, a, a chair in a table, but I decided to sit at the at the bar, you know, at the at the counter. And of course, I chose a strategic place. You know, well, my son first seated me right by the door with my back to the door and said, "No, no, no." As you know, and I'm sure those that already have already peeked at my book, the fact that I was a political prisoner and spent days in jail as a very young teenager marked me for life. And every, all the people that have gone through the jail, through the hole, through the can, never ever sit with their back to the door. And as a matter of fact, they would rather they sit looking at two alternate exits. And that happened in the Elks lot. I said uh, at, the, at the, you know, at the bar, attended by a beautiful, a very nice bartender called Linda. And I had a visual uh, input, a visual input of the two doors, one on the right, one on the left. And I just swivel to, with my chair to watch my son's performance and other people performance too. So that was my first outing uh, outside the protective cocoon. At the time, you know, since I knew that many of them were old-timer people about 50, I knew that most of them were vaccinated. And uh, as, as, as they did, I wasn't wearing a mask. And I felt safe because I knew that it was a safe environment. Now, in other places of Dade County, Miami-Dade County, where you have more young people and also more ignorant people that do not want to get vaccinated, I wouldn't be so cavalier and I would be wearing a mask. Now, the, another uncertainty is, do we get, and that's something, you know, I just wrote a blog about it, do we get a third booster shot for the Pfizer and Moderna vaccine that have been already approved in the United States and elsewhere? The question is yes and no. If you're above 65 years old and you have a medical condition, even well-treated, like high blood pressure, I would recommend that you get the shot because the risks are just too high. But if you're younger, you don't have any chronic medical condition and you play it safe, I don't think that it's necessary for the time being. In fact, um, 20 days ago, we went with my son to a local Walgreens and uh, him for special, a special medical condition and me for the fact that I'm older than 65 years old and I have blood pressure, even though it has been well-controlled, well-treated, and I haven't had any symptoms for years due to the proper medication schedule, due to a special diet, due to little consumption of alcohol, and also over the past few years, a more relaxed lifestyle without too much clinical interactions. 
So uh, we decided to get uh, vaccinated in a, a local Walgreens. Let me tell you, I had a very bad reaction to the first one, being spending in bed like uh, a week with uh, tremors and clacking of the teeth, you know, and taking uh, Tylenol. I had I had to stay three or four days in bed with a febrile syndrome and be medicated. Thank God my daughter and my son were with me and they took care of, of me. Thank you very much, Noah Marie. Thank you very much, Gianluca. And I had a mild reaction to the second Pfizer shot, which was in February. In February. The first one was in January. Thank you, my daughter's entreaty. Now, when we went to the third shot, nothing happened immediately. But 24 hours afterwards, I got a big bump in my left arm where they have injected the Pfizer vaccine. I started becoming dizzy, my son too. And for three days, I couldn't get out of bed. My son had to stay a, year, a day and a half in bed. Afterwards, the dizziness eased, but I felt so weak as if I had gone into a boxing ring and a world champion had beaten the shit out of me, to be quite honest. It was terrible. And only a few days ago, that uh, weakness, that... Uh, that I, I can't describe it. It's a morose, it was a morose feeling. I didn't want to get out of bed. I felt tired. You know, I, I didn't feel without hope. Finally, a few days ago, it is. So, do we need to get the booster shot? It depends. The answer is yes and no. Now, will we ever regain some kind of normalcy? Yes, of course. Slowly, we're coming out of the woodwork. We're coming out of our caves our hideout, we're resuming many social relationships that we had abandoned, but it's going to take a long time. And many of the many of the parameters are changing. For example, the context. You know, I used to be, you know, with the friends I knew. You know, I used to be a kisser. We Italians, Americans love to kiss each other. Between men. Now, it's only the elbow, forget it. Except for my, my children, except for very close uh, family members or or people. I won't touch anyone. I don't want to be touched by anyone. That's something that has changed, and I think, forever. Now, uh, are we going to go back to our work, studies, relationships? The answer is yes and no. There's uncertainty there, because we know that now we became more paranoid, and it's going to take a long, long time for us to share that level of paranoia and avoid people. You know what? Now we do need to reconnect with people. We need to be inside them as they need to be inside us. And we have a lot of fear. We had a lot of, I would say, doubts about what we can do, what we can do. Even the fact that how many times do I have to wash the veggies or the groceries? My son criticizes me because when the Whole Foods supermarket order comes, you know, I just sit down and I uh, I spray every apple, every tomato, every can with the Lysol cleaner. And then I, I use a paper towel to wipe it. I'm sorry, I'm going to keep doing that. You know, we can't take any chances. Now, uh, another thing is that are we confident that all these measures will uh, will serve the 
will serve the purpose. Yes, of course we are. We are. Because we know that humankind will survive this pandemic. As it did in 1348, we will survive this pandemic. But we have to be careful because, you know, we cannot afford to be so unprepared as we were in this one. For example, there, you can see now that economic activity has resumed the backlog of, of ships loaded with all these containers uh, outside Los, Los, Los Angeles Harbor, outside New York Harbor, and many other ports of the planet. You know what? We have to be more prepared. We cannot be having an on-time delivery system, you know, a quick delivery system. People were reluctant to get supplies in warehouses because they thought it was much more economical to have a much more efficient and fast delivery system that, for example, whenever we did something, we would just call, you know, a place in China that would ship it via Hong Kong, arrive in LA in, the, in a matter of two weeks, and then we had to go. No, as a matter of fact, we have to plan better, especially for the medical supplies. How about the next pandemic? We believe that there might be another pandemic, and we have to prepare ourselves for that. For that. Well, folks, it seems that well, we will talk for almost half an hour. I promise that I will be more economical with your time next time. I wish you well. Please, like my son says in his stand-up comedy, go out there and love someone. Love someone, a dog, a cat, a tree, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a transgender girl, a book, music, whatever you want. But please go out in the world and love someone. Thank you very much for listening to us, and we hope that you enjoy it. Bon chance, merde, good luck. Buena suerte, buena fortuna. We'll uh, meet again in a few days.